workshop. There's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my...
and welcome to Women's Magazine. This is Global Val here, Mutiny Radio.fm, San Francisco's Mission District. Thanks for tuning in this fine, fine Friday. It is March 23rd, 2018. Spring has sprung. The grass is riz. I wonder where the flowers is. That's not an original, but I forget who said it. Sorry. Anyhow, uh, the actually, blue skies do abound. A little puffy white clouds, uh, a little bit past the rain the, that we're very grateful to have gotten this past week. But here we are in California, still looking at a season of drought. But thankfully, the Sierra's got you know many, many feet of snow over the past few weeks, and that helps to you know restore and our our water supplies. And as we know, water is life. Thank you for tuning in today. I have a guest coming in at two thirty, so stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss it because today I am interviewing the president of the Board of Supervisors of San Francisco. London Breed. She is a front runner for mayor, if I may say so. Um, she served as acting mayor um, in, after the untimely, unexpected death of our previous mayor, Ed Lee, um, back in December. She was replaced uh, by a caretaker mayor who uh, is not eligible to run in the June election, but I'm really excited to have London Breed come in here today. She grew up here in San Francisco. She grew up in public housing. She was raised by her grandmother. Um, she has been a community servant for her entire career, um, and I've been going to a lot of the mayoral candidate forums, and you know, it's great to have you know, all of the candidates or the majority of the candidates all together in order, you know, to answer questions and occasionally ask each other questions, but they don't really get a whole lot of time to really talk policy. Um, there's a lot of questions, very complex questions that have been submitted ahead of time uh, or by the audience. And then the moderator says, okay, everybody, you have two minutes to answer that question. Um, so I'm doing here on uh, at Mutiny Radio on Women's Magazine with Global Val and occasionally a Continuing on to the Common Thread Collective, which happens after this show, uh, it's Global Val's election season coverage. So I'm really happy that a lot of the candidates have agreed to come in. Um, I interviewed Angela Aliotto, who is also running for mayor. This is our third run for mayor. She came in on... March 9th. So that podcast is available. And also we interviewed Amy Farrah Weiss on the Common Thread Collective on February 23rd. So that podcast is available, both of them on mutinyradio.fm. Um, and, and we're also on iTunes now. Um, we have a, a little podcast angel at the station who put our show onto iTunes, um, oddly enough. So it's under the free podcast section, but uh, it is a little interesting because there's so many comedy shows at Mutiny Radio that we kind of got put into the comedy section. I don't know if anything that I say is very funny, but occasionally, um, but that's where you'll find it if you're looking on iTunes or you're, you're trying to tell them kids how to find this stuff. Anyhow, it is great to be here. I'm really excited to talk to London Breed uh, later today. And for now, I'm going to play a little music for you and be right back. Here's some music from Emma's Revolution. Peaceful now and forevermore. Peaceful at the surface and peaceful at the core. All the joy within my heart would be so free to soar. And we're living on a living planet. Circling a living star I don't know where we're going But I know we're going far We can change the universe By being who we are And we're living on a living planet Circling a living star and if all the world knew justice now and forevermore, justice at the surface and justice at the core, all the joy within my heart would be so free to soar, and we're living on a living planet 
circling a living star. I don't know where we're going, but I know we're going far. We can change the universe by being who we are, and we're living on a living planet, circling a living star. And if all the world knew freedom now and forevermore, freedom at the surface and freedom at the core, all the joy within my heart would be so free to soar. And we're living on a living planet, circling a living star. I don't know where we're going, but I know we're going far. We can change the universe by being who we are, and we're living on a We are indeed living on a living planet, and let's not forget it. We've seen a lot of uh, actions being filed and and taken by the Environmental Protection Agency in this past uh, couple of weeks. Um, who um, you know now now that it's led by a climate change denier, Scott Pruitt, who sued the EPA a number of times in Oklahoma before he became the head of the EPA. Um, they would like to. Uh, um, go do away with uh, some of the rules that would make it that would require uh, mining companies to have uh, enough uh, money on hand in case of a spill. Um, so there's a lot of shady dealings going on that are not uh, acting on behalf of all of our living brothers, sisters, and so on on this living planet. So you know. Tune in and, and uh, keep paying attention and keep talking about these things. Um, here's something to talk about. This is Women's Magazine. And this week in California, uh, it was announced that California will have its first um, female leader of the California State Senate. Um, she is also uh, part of the LGBT community. So, um, Tony Atkins will make history Wednesday when she becomes the first woman and first lesbian to hold the California Senate's top job. A former Assembly Speaker, Atkins is taking over the post of Senate President Pro Tem from fellow Democrat Kevin DeLeon as the chamber gears up for election season and faces a number of thorny challenges, including a reckoning over sexual misconduct, a loss of Democratic supermajority, and an icy relationship with the State Assembly. That I'm, I'm reading this out of the uh, Mercury, the Mercury News. Um, so. You know, women are coming up in, in politics uh, right here in San Francisco. The mayor's race is comprised mostly of uh, female candidates. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting time, 2018. I, I think about the day that I went out to Civic Center back on the w Women's March, which this year was March, um, sorry, January 21st. Uh, it was the second annual Women's March. And there were so many amazing and inspiring speakers that day talking about how um, people across the country are organizing to stand up to the you know the political machine that currently operates and uh, likes to take a lot of money from uh, special interests um, and work against um, you know everyday people who, who can't afford to uh, you know throw thousands and millions of dollars at them um, and and the fact that people are now stepping up a lot of women are stepping up and stepping forward and I loved how the theme of this year's Women's March was because it was the second annual first we marched now we run so I'm really excited to have London Breed come in here she'll be here in a little bit about 15 minutes or so as we uh, explore some of the important issues 
in San Francisco, especially during this election season, such as housing, affordability, homelessness, public safety, uh, clean streets, and transportation. So thanks for tuning in. And um, yeah, we'll be right back and play a little more music for you.
Thanks for tuning in to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val. You're listening to MutinyRadio.fm, and it is Friday as I'm here every Friday. Uh, it's great to be here and uh, happy to have you tuning in. So um, it is springtime. We just we just passed the uh, the spring equinox. So the, the seasons are changing. Um, Easter is around the corner. And it's always a good time to remember that um, a lot of the modern holidays, uh, Christian holidays, um, really kind of uh, piggybacked onto ancient holidays, uh, the, the rites of spring, the celebration of goddesses, of fertility, of life, um, hence the, the eggs and the little bunnies of springtime, you know, you know, that has no direct correlation with the, with the Jesus story. Um, but yet it's all kind of conflated, um, into, into one big, um, chocolate filled holiday. And, um, it's a great time of year to celebrate life. Um, as we see the, the rains come and go and the new, uh, plants come up, the flowers. And I want to remind everybody that it is a great time to plant your spring garden. Um, here in San Francisco, at least in the Bay area, we have a great climate. You can grow all sorts of, uh, organic fruits and vegetables in your own backyard. If you don't have a backyard, I like to remind folks that you can have a garden in a space, the size of your TV, um, get a planter box or maybe, uh, coordinate with a few different neighbors where everybody gets a planter box. Put some seeds in the ground, uh, get some organic soil going on and, um, you know, plant some chard, um, some, uh, some kale, some lettuce. You could, you can go carrots out here. Um, tomatoes, if you do them right, if they get enough sun, um, there's all sorts of great things that you can do in order to, um, grow fresh, healthy food to make available for yourselves, your family, your friends and neighbors. Um, tis the season. So get out there and grow. Um, I want to read a poem, uh, called calendar, um, because of kind of what I was talking about before, how a lot of really ancient celebrations and ceremonies and rites, um, were kind of, uh, you know, kind of, mm, absorbed and, uh, rebranded. So here, here's some food for thought. It's called calendar. <coughs> They've tried to redefine time by putting it in a straight line and calling it clockwise. Digits in sequence winding and waiting down the red line, conveniently painted on the pavement. It's an order of artifice, carrying an air of correctness until it becomes questionless. When in fact it has supplanted actuality. A thousand suns could tell us which way to look for morning, but the subtle and unsettling oversight is the course of the moon running what would be called counter. But clearly it is the marker, orbit and watcher, seamstress and friend, putting the pattern before us. I'm Golval. I really am happy you're tuning in to Women's Magazine today here at MutinyRadio.fm. Coming back after this next song, we're going to have President of the Board of Supervisors, London Breed, who is running for mayor, and she's in here today to talk about some of her policy ideas and also about being a San Franciscan and what that means for her and what it means in her role as President of the Board and potentially as her role of, as mayor. We shall see. June election is June 5th. And uh, don't forget to get out there and register to vote. Uh, you got to do that, folks, or update your voter registration. You can go to registertovote.ca.gov. You can do it online. So simple. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back. They saw me, looked at the children and saw my own face. I saw myself dying all over the place I saw myself hiding and shaking with fear Desperately wondering how I got here From the seat on my bus To my mother's front door To my shock I had come home right into a war So many years and we're back here again Wasn't anyone listening then Are we now have we joined the debate our golf of talking our 
could see the young man whose number was up I could see the girl pleading and shaking a cup Her mother beside her missing a leg A field, a landmine, a reason to beg A reason to cower, a reason to fight A reason to question who's wrong and who's right To raise up a rifle and sharply take aim To find myself caught in the midst of a game So many years and you're back here again Wasn't anyone listening then? Are we listening now? Have we joined the debate? Our golf target, our water gate Our 9-11, our own demise No more silence and lies Iraq, Southeast Asia, this city or town Whether your skin is red, yellow or brown or White as a sheet or black as the night
All right, folks. Hope you're not taking an afternoon nap with all that kind of uh, sweet music that was playing. That was Emma's Revolution. Um, but we're about to, you know, get get some more energy going this afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to Women's Magazine here on Global Val at MutinyRadio.fm. And I'm really happy to have um, Ms. London Breed in the studio today. Um, London Breed is the president of the Board of Supervisors here in San Francisco, a position to which she has been twice elected by her fellow supervisors. She represents District 5 and has since 2012. Uh, District 5 also is where she grew up here in San Francisco in the Western Edition. Of course, it's also a big chunk in the middle of the city uh, that includes the Fillmore, the Haight-Ashbury, Lower Haight, Coal Valley, Alamo Square, the Panhandle, Japantown, and parts of the Inner Sunset. Before she served on the Board of Supervisors, she was the Executive Director of the African American Art and Culture Complex for, I believe, about 10 years, and also uh, served on the San Francisco Redevelopment Agency and the Fire Commission. And she grew up here in San Francisco, went to public school, got her undergraduate at UC Davis and her master's at USF. Uh, She most recently served as acting mayor for several weeks after the unexpected death of Mayor Ed Lee until a caretaker mayor was selected to hold the office until the June election. So it is an honor and a, a treat to welcome to Mutiny Radio. Welcome back to Mutiny Radio, London Breed. Thanks, Val, for having me today. Absolutely. It's always it's always great. For, thank you for coming in today. It's always nice to have a, an in-person interview, um, but I'm glad that we've gotten a chance to, to talk a, a couple a couple times along the way in your political career. Yes. Um, so now as Running, you're running for mayor. Um, you're the president of the board of supervisors. So I want to start with kind of a, a rather open question and say, why you? Why now? I think why me? Why now? Is because first of all, I'm a native to San Francisco. I've been here my whole life, and I've seen the city go through so many different changes. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And part of what we need to do in San Francisco is move forward in a positive direction that's inclusive of every San Franciscan. San Francisco needs bold, creative, solutions-driven leadership to move our city forward and address these most challenging issues. And as someone who is fearless, as someone who focuses on trying to find creative ways to address our most pressing problems, which I have done as a member of the community, as a member of the Board of Supervisors, I know that I have what it takes to do this job. I know that my vision for San Francisco to make it a better place, to make it a more inclusive place, is what's going to move us in the right direction. So why me? Why now? because I know that I'm the best person to do this job, and I have demonstrated that even in the short time that I served as acting mayor. Well, I know that you have been acting uh, on behalf of San Francisco, and the fact that you are from here, grew up here, and have such a comprehensive understanding of this city um, is uh, reassuring. I think for a lot of people. Um, so let's. Uh, there's a lot of major issues in this election season. What would be your priorities? As well, let's talk about the. Well, the issues in this election season really have come up: housing, homelessness, public safety, transit, clean streets. So, as mayor, what would be your priorities when you, uh, you know, get into room 200 out there at City Hall? And I will tell you, you know exactly what you just said. The top issues in San Francisco clearly are housing, homelessness, public safety, and yes, infrastructure and transit and quality of life. But we have to do a better job here in San Francisco of creating housing. Since 2010, for every eight jobs we've created. We only created one new unit of housing. And so in thinking about what we need to do as a city to make our city better for everyone and be more all-inclusive, it will require creativity to build not just more housing, but more housing for low-income residents, for moderate-income residents, for middle-income residents, because as a native who grew up here, who actually grew up in public housing and had no real housing ladder opportunity, It was really frustrating to watch my friends leave San Francisco, to watch the city change and not feel that we had even an opportunity to be a part of this city. 
And so my goal as president, I mean, as a uh, mayor is to make sure that I make housing a priority, a housing for all San Franciscans, building more and building more faster, especially 100% affordable housing that's completely code compliant. We got to make sure that we include those who we know are getting left out. We talk about more housing for teachers, but teachers they don't, they make too much to qualify for affordable housing and not enough to afford market rate. And so changing that conversation through our inclusionary housing laws, making sure that we come up with long-term strategic plans of building more, identifying underutilized sites like I did with the location at Haight and Stanion, the McDonald's site, they sold the city that property for below market rate because I asked. And so we have other opportunities just like that to identify locations, to build more housing faster, to build modular housing, Housing, which you can build cheaper and less expensive and identifying a site here to make sure we're building those modular homes locally with our local labor. And here's the thing. I put out a detailed housing platform. You can find it on my website, londonformayor.com. Just talking about the work that I've done as a member of the Board of Supervisors, the work that I plan to do as your mayor, and my goal is to work together with everyone to come up with a long-term solution so that we identify where the needs are and we start to build more housing for those different layers of need. A housing ladder is gonna be key to the success of my administration. As, I mean, I know you talked about a couple of other issues, but I'll let you chime in to uh, no, I, <laughs> move, I, move the conversation I, forward. Yeah, I, I, I am here to, to let our listeners, you know, get get more of the, the, the policy and the ideas that they may not get out of a, a forum where yes. you only get two minutes to answer a question um, with the other candidates uh, there at the same time. So, um, you know, by all means, um, that's what we're here for. So I appreciate you uh, talking about what your what your plans are, what your visions are. Um, Give a little bit of the because um, you we're talking about the the um, the uh, property that's that's going to be developed at Hayton Stanion that just kind of came up as one creative solution, but maybe talk a little bit about some of the things that you have done prior to this because I know that that's that's a work in progress yes. right now. And and so there's a couple of things that I've done on the board of supervisors. You know, we were building and planning to build, you know, a lot of housing in Mission Bay. When I was on the Redevelopment Agency Commission, I helped to support and approve many of those projects in Mission Bay and the Hunters Point Shipyard. And the frustration especially coming from members of the Bayview community is what they saw happen in the Western Edition where so many people were displaced. And the lottery system would, makes it so difficult for people who live in the community, like myself and my friends, you grow up and then you're like, where do I go? What's the next step? I created neighborhood preference legislation. So when we build new affordable housing, 40% of those units go to the people who live in that neighborhood first. So when they're competing in a lottery, 40% is set aside just for the neighborhood to compete so that we can protect the neighborhood. We protect the people who live in those neighborhoods. And so HUD, who, you know, Housing and Urban Development, the, the federal agency that supports a lot of affordable housing, they initially said, no, you can't use that legislation when it comes to projects that we support, that we subsidize. And so when they said no, I took a red-eye flight to D.C. and I fought for that legislation. And they said, well, maybe. We'll let you use it this time. We'll see how it works because here's the thing. I went to them and I explained what my experience was growing up and watching my neighborhood change right before my eyes and, and seeing their and seeing the changes and no opportunities for the people who live there. It's why I fought so hard for neighborhood preference legislation. And so as a result of my work, you know, here's this opportunity. So as new housing gets built, as you see what's happening even in the Mission District and all this new housing with sadly no opportunity of the people who live here who are being pushed out having access to it, my neighborhood preference legislation has changed that for neighborhoods for the better. And I'm really proud of making sure that there's a real link between the housing we build and the people who live in those communities and make those communities so special. The other legislation that I worked on is the inclusionary affordable housing laws with my colleagues to change the affordable housing requirements. So as I said, teachers 
didn't necessarily qualify for affordable housing but couldn't afford market rate. We increased the threshold. So for example, a family of four making $135,000 a year could now qualify for affordable housing. So changing the conversation so that middle income residents in our city actually have a real shot at accessing affordable housing here in San Francisco. Um, so there are a number of other um, things that we can continue to do to move forward in the right direction. Identifying underutilized properties, um, doing what I did with my neighborhood commercial transit district legislation. It increased densities along transit corridors in my district, specifically the Fillmore and the Divisadero. To be clear, it did not increase height, it increased density so that more units could be built on the same footprint. Um, in, in the Divisadero, and particularly a site at Grove and Divisadero, they had proposed a a building of 16 units and under the law they would only be required to provide 12% of those units for affordable housing well now there's a change and through my legislation, so now they're gonna build about 66 units. And those units are gonna be smaller, they're gonna be more affordable. Um, and then we are right now, as we speak, changing to increase the percentage of affordable units that are required under the law. So we're gonna have more units, more affordable units, and these are all gonna be rentals. And so coming up with creative solutions to provide more housing, to provide more options for affordable housing for all San Franciscans is a priority that I have made as a member the Board of Supervisors that I will make as a the mayor of the city. So in in terms of having the the transit corridors um, and and the fact that it that it can be all rentals is is really um, I think it's it's definitely showing that the the uh, the understanding of so, most of the people in San Francisco as as renters. You know, of course you have homeowners, but you know uh, there's. So many people rent. Um, I'm a uh, renter myself. I know you. That's right. That's right. I, I yeah, and that and that alone says a lot. I think to have someone who rents be in City Hall because it's 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 a different ball game when you're when you're when you know how it works out. You know you know what it's like. Um, and and with our like you're saying with our teachers kind of falling in into in the cracks. Um, so the inclusionary thing. I think a lot of the teachers and and other you know public servants like the police and fire our department and and you know other city workers who kind of like can't can't buy a, a the two bus million drivers, dollar house especially yeah, a lot of the bus, bus drivers. drivers are from San Francisco and I'm really proud that as a member of the board of supervisors I not only sponsored the legislation to purchase 200 new buses to replace our fleet, but also we hired 400 new drivers. We banned the box. So a lot of the folks that I grew up with who unfortunately had a criminal past, they paid their debt to society and needed employment, they're working for Muni. I see them all the time and I'm so proud of that kind of work, but they still can't afford to live in San Francisco. So again, we have to make changes to our law so that they actually work for people, especially the people who take care of our city. Yeah, I, I give a lot of credit to bus drivers. I'm, I'm a lifelong Muni writer, and um, you know, for better or for worse. But I, I give the drivers a lot of credit because they put up with so much. They really do, and we just <laughs> again, we got to do better as a city to Ab support them. Absolutely. As we speak about transit, because um, I know that you, as you were saying, you got more bus drivers and were uh, at the head of replacing a lot of our old buses and trains. Um, of course, though, there's always still daily problems with Muni, you know, delays, broken doors, um, people getting dropped off before the end of the line. So when can we, and I've seen some of these new cars kind of, you know, getting, getting, come, you know, coming out and getting tested, um, but they're not taking passengers yet. So um, when can we, as riders, um, expect to see those trains um, come into service? And, and I, they should be within, you know, the next few months. I mean, they're test, they're being tested. Some are already running. And let me just say that when I first became a member of the Board of Supervisors, the one thing that residents in Cole Valley asked for, fix the injuda, fix the injuda. And I didn't understand why was there such a problem? You see all these people out here, folks can't get to school, they can't get to work on time. What is going on? And what I discovered with our trains, the fleet was so old, they would have to be taken out of service every 4,000 miles. We didn't have enough muni drivers. And when people would call in sick, I mean, the system was just completely 
messed up. And so a part of my push as a member of the board is we need more trains. We need more buses. We need more drivers. Like, what are we doing here in terms of infrastructure? Like, what is our long-term strategic plan? So I feel strongly that with my legislation, my push, a lot of what we need began to take place, began to move forward through the process. And sadly, it takes years to build a new train. It takes years to build a new bus. It also takes time to get through the process. And so finally, the new train are starting to arrive. People have been trained and are prepared to begin driving those new trains. In the meantime, uh, I created a shuttle system at the Anjuna where it kind of there's a switchback so that there are four empty cars that go to that location before they come to Carl and Cole. Um, and then they're able to take passengers to work in the morning. It doesn't necessarily work as efficiently in the evening because there are so many riders. And so I know that we can get creative, but we need the new trains and we need the new buses. And I think within the next year, people will probably start to feel the difference. Um, it will probably be more noticeable. Um, the good news is it's on its way and I'm looking forward to, um, you know, improvements. And as someone who grew up taking Muni, I take it sporadically now, but I got to tell you, I, you know, it's challenging, but like in comparison, you remember what it used to be like when we were kids, yeah. like the bus driver, they'd see us running for the bus and still take yeah. off. They'd look, look you right in the eye and just drive and away. And you have to wait like forever for the next bus. And yeah. now, you oh, know. And then two would two come like one behind the next one, yeah. which still kind of happens sometimes. It still kind of happens, but you know, some of my experience has shown just, you know, improvement and, you know, just the fact that you can also use technology to figure out when the next bus is coming and those yeah. sorts of things. I mean, you know, we just had to guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There were no signs up there that were flashing any numbers, whether or not they were. And then when they started doing that, you're, you never really knew if that was accurate. Um, but yeah, so there have been improvements and um, I'm I personally am looking forward to more. Yes, um, there has to be. If we're talking about a city that is building more housing and right. we want people to rely on public transportation. And so we have to make it more efficient. Like people have have got to feel like the bus is going to be or the trains are going to be something they can easily get around in the city if it's working better then that is going to be the number one choice that people make because it's less expensive than hopping in a cab or uber or anything else or hopping in their own vehicles and so my goal is to focus on making sure that the infrastructure and how we move forward with transportation in san francisco works for the people of san francisco in a more efficient way so speaking of uh, your transit corridor legislation, um, your involvement in getting more, uh, expanding our fleet, replacing some of these old trains, looking at how the transit system can work better. Uh, we, we have about, well, we have about 10 more minutes on this program, but if you want to stick around a little bit longer, you can. Um, so right now, one of the big things that have been that's been talked about during the mayoral debates and things like that is this bill that Senator Scott Weiner has has penned in Sacramento, SB 827, which essentially seems like well, okay. It, it, it would increase height limits um, near transit, major transit hubs, um, give developers incentives to build uh, near transit hubs and bus stops. Um, but when you apply it to San Francisco, it's basically so many, I mean, because we have such a, a wide network of buses and trains, it would really kind of rezone or, or affect so many different places in San Francisco, almost almost the entire city. So it, with a, SB 827, does San Francisco actually even need that with the type of work and legislation that you've already uh, talked about and have been putting through? So I think what um, Senator Weiner is proposing, um, it, I, I agree mostly with the intent and the goal because I feel in some ways he copied my NCT legislation, except mine is more narrowly defined. And so part of um, what I am discussing with Senator Weiner at this time is making sure that we don't tear down existing housing, that we focus on using empty parking lots or empty underutilized lots, places where no housing exists as an opportunity for that. We also make sure that there are inclusionary housing requirements um, that make sense for these particular um, um, buildings. And, and more important, we have to make sure um, that we do so where it's, I mean, San Francisco is a unique and very beautiful place. And I know that people People are very protective of their communities um, and and I support building more housing but just think about it 
you and I grew up here, born and raised, and look at what's happening now because we haven't built more housing. I run into parents all over who say, my kids can't afford to live here. Right. And so what I am thinking about is, Yes, I want to protect neighborhood character. I want to make sure San Francisco is this beautiful place that we know it can be. But I also want to make sure we're smart and strategic about building more housing and building more housing faster and identifying underutilized lots and getting creative along transit corridors and defining those transit corridors, not just by one muni stop, but just a number of other things that come into place to do so. And so I'm currently um, working with Senator Weiner on this legislation. Um, I think that um, ultimately, I want to get to a, a good place where there are options uh, for us to build more housing that I know we can build here in the city so that the next generation of San Franciscans growing up here, they don't look back and think, what happened? What did our policymakers do? And why can't we afford to live here any longer? Right. Well, we shall see what happens with eight, uh, SB 827. But it uh, sounds like we've got some of the, you've got some of those ideas already in play. Um, so I want to link... Um, to housing, to homelessness. I mean, we can absolutely separate these issues, but um, they're kind of more pointedly connected than they may have been in the past because the makeup of our homeless population has fundamentally changed. Um, a, a few facts from the Coalition on the Homeless fact sheet, their most recent one, which was summer of 2016, 71% of homeless people in San Francisco were previously housed residents here. Um, 3,300 children uh, homeless in San Francisco, including about 2,300 students enrolled in San Francisco Unified School District. Average studio apartment, $2,200 a month. That was then. Um, and 8,000 households on a waiting list for public housing. So we not only have a homeless crisis, a housing crisis, but we have an affordability crisis. Um, so we're getting into forum uh, time here. In the next couple minutes. <laughs> um, how would you address the issue of affordability while people um, wait for ha more housing to become available? Yeah, I think there's three things that we have to do when tackling this issue. Number one, we have to protect people who are already housed. Right. We had to make sure, like with our legislation, Supervisor Jeff Sheehy and I proposed legislation, the right to civil counsel through an ordinance. And you know, we can do this on the local level at the Board of Supervisors. Not only do we plan to do it and pass this legislation as mayor, I will fund that and make sure that when someone is facing an unjust eviction, they don't have to do so alone. Um, and they do that with support from a lawyer. Um, the other thing that we need to do is add more support to our program that provides funding for those who need additional money when they can't afford to pay their rent. Say if you lose your job and you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from and you need just a little help paying the rent for the next month or two or three, we have programs like that. We just don't put enough money into it and it runs out fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And so providing that could be all the difference providing additional funding for that could be all the difference in making sure we can keep people housed that should be our number one priority keep people housed housing preservation uh, for affordable housing and making sure that we're watching those things just as closely as everything else we're addressing the second thing is just what's happening on our streets every single day people who are living on the streets who sadly have substance abuse and mental health concerns and what I am proposing um, are safe injection sites and I'm really, um, I'm excited about the work I did. Last year, 30% of San Franciscans supported safe injection sites. And then I began the process of a task force to talk about the issue, to look at what's happening all over the world. It's working in Vancouver. It's working in other places. I put out, I started down a path of a public awareness campaign, explaining to people how this can not only, you know, save money, it could save lives. Um, if we open one site, $2.7 million in hospital visits and all um and all the other cleanup efforts and social services we provide for this particular um, challenge. And my ultimate goal is I want to get the needles off the streets. I want to get the people off the streets from shooting up publicly. And I want to save someone's life. And um, part of safe injection sites can do just that. And last year, 30% of San Franciscans supported it. And this year, polls show that 67% of San Franciscans support it. So I think that the work we did to open, um, to talk to the public about this particular issue and just really let folks know how this 
this could be helpful has really opened people's eyes to being more supportive about this effort. Um, the other thing that I'm working on is um, reforms to our mental health system. And we know that there are people who struggle uh, with mental health challenges. And part of what I am moving forward is, you know, like is, is not treating it like a criminal issue. Um, and someone's like, for example, harm to themselves and others. And, and there has to be a law broken in order for them to get, you know, assisted. But we are proposing that we take that component out of the district attorney's office and move it over to the city attorney's office and treat these cases like child conservatorship cases. And the goal is 